Hey, Shives. Yeah? Wanted you to have this. What is it? It's a little something for that Forrest Gump review you did a couple of weeks ago. $300? Look, I reviewed that movie on the square. I was honest. You know, I can't take this. Yeah, right. Honest. Look, Shives, if you don't take this, it'll look bad. The other reviewers are on the take. They might get the wrong idea about you. Uh, I don't care what happens to me. I'm going to review films the way they ought to be. Don't be like that. Your partner was like that. He didn't like Forrest Gump. He wouldn't get his beak wet. He talked. Now where is he? Home? That fucking thing on your lip, it goes. Get a haircut. Uh, sure. That's an order. You look like an asshole with dentures. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Late Seating. I am Jason Harding. And I am Steve Shives. And on this show, we take a classic movie and see if it lives up to its reputation, whether that reputation is good or bad. And this time around, its reputation is good, isn't it, Steve? I would say its reputation is very good, yes, my friend. Even though most of the people in it are bad. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're mean bad cops. They're not good. They're not role models, I'll tell you that much. They're a bunch of naughty boys. They're bad, bad boys. That's right. What movie are we going to be reviewing this time around filled with bad boys, bad boys? What you gonna do? We're gonna review... What you gonna do when the cops beat you? <laughs> bad boys, bad boys. We're gonna review the classic 1973 crime film slash police drama slash biopic. biopic. Yeah. Serpico. Serpico. Yeah. The greatest villain name ever. I know. That's not... That's actually a pretty good guy. Is so. like, wait, isn't he one of the guys that the Fantastic Four fight? Yeah, isn't or, he like a Bond villain? Isn't he the leader of Cobra? <laughs> Good day, Serpico. <laughs> That's my worst. Holy shit. You, you handle, Good. you do Sean Connery. Good day, Serpico. Serpico, you really, you don't really expect me to talk, do you, Serpico? Did you really think you could stand up to the power of Serpico? <laughs> the, see, see, that's where I was going with the GI Joe thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, he's an industrial. Oh, yeah, I want to just do Cobra. Serpico, where are you, <laughs> Agent Serpico? <laughs> and but if it was a Bond villain. Then his company name is Serpa Co. Serpico. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah, I like that. That's, that's, I mean, that's better than Spectre. Like, it's better than LexCorp. LexCorp. How, how long did it take you to think of that? <laughs> anyway, yeah, Serpico. It's great. It's one of them movies. It came out in 1973 to help us hate cops more. Yeah, it's from that decade, that one decade, where Hollywood really, really tried hard to make good movies. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, Steve. Yes. Do you have any thrilling, mm. thrilling mm -hmm. trivia for Serpico? I have some trivia. Okay. I, we'll see how thrilling it is. See, after the last one, you're not making any promises. That's anymore. true. I, last time, I kind of bit. I got bit in the ass by. I'm, I, 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 I wrote like, checks. I have a bunch my, of dark yeah. trivia, and yeah. none of it was dark. And I know, I, I know, I let you down, and I just want you to know that I won't let you down again. We'll see. Okay. Well, I'm going to... I don't know. Okay. Maybe I will. I don't know. I, I really... It's not up to me. Anyway. Um, you shouldn't so, have a vested interest in the first place, whether you're going to let me down or not. Okay. You know I'll always love you. It doesn't doesn't matter. I don't I care. I love you, Steve. I, I love you. I love you too, Steve, man. Yes? you need to listen. No, no, no. No. I love you. I love you too, man. I have to make up for last week. <laughs> I think some people think I genuinely hate you. Everybody thinks we hate each other now. 
We gotta reverse that. No one wants to listen to two people that hate each other talk about movies, do they? No, that would that would never work. No, who would watch a show where two people who actively hate each other and their opinions watch them give a thumbs up or a thumbs down to a movie that's been released? That show definitely would not run for 25 years. <laughs> anyway, trivia. Anyway, so this film uh, was shot. The uh, principal photography took place... By cops in a back alley. In, yes, exactly. <laughs> it was shot on an incredibly short schedule. Um, yes. I, I think the movie actually began production in the summer, and it was supposed to be done and ready to be released by Christmas. So this is like a ridiculously condensed production schedule. How in the hell did they do Pacino's hair? He has like 19 hairstyles in this movie. I guess they did the beard stuff first, and then they shaved him down. You know what? They must have done it in reverse, where he had the full beard Uh, and the long hair. Yeah, That's the only way they could have. That's the only way they could have. Um, Mm -hmm. So what what that meant was that... How did they make the dog age backwards? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. It was magic. Okay. They engaged a witch doctor. You have all the answers. Um, so, um... Just wh- a second. Magumbo, are you ready? <laughs> okay, so he's drank from the skull and action. <laughs> Bring me the cursed dog. We're ready for that scene. <laughs> um, Sir, the dog is smoking and its eyes are glowing again. <laughs> so... Because it was shot on such a a short schedule, that meant that the editing process had to be done concurrently with the filming. So the way it worked, and the way it worked was they would shoot a scene, and they would get everything they needed for that scene, and then they would take that footage and give it directly to the editor. The editor would have about two days to cut a a usable version of that scene, and then they and then they would send that to the sound department for sound editing and sound effects and stuff like that. And uh, so, and that is really really unusual. I mean, usually it's you, you do all of your production first, and then I mean they might assemble, they might do a very very rough edit to just kind of put things together. But generally speaking, right. like a the editing, the, the editing is post production, not production. And this was all sort of done on top of everything because they had so little time to get the movie out. And right. because of that schedule and how quickly the film was shot, Sidney Lumet later said that it was the most exhausting film that he'd ever made. Um, mm-hmm. However, that except for that time when uh, no, I get now what are you Henry Ford on the set of Twelve Angry Men did a whole lot of blow oh and God. they couldn't get him out of the bathroom for like three weeks. <laughs> it was a bottle film, but Henry Ford was making it impossible because of his addiction to his, blow, his, his infamous drug addiction. Now, some of the stories, mainly the ones from Steve, are true, and I am a filthy liar. Yes. How Henry, dare I denigrate yes. Henry Ford and the fantastic film 12 Angry Men. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Henry Fonda, you kept calling him Henry Ford there, which... which oh, I hate Henry Ford. Which would be even funnier if, like... <laughs> Did I, I just confused Henry Ford and Henry Fonda. You, that doesn't happen very often. You know what? You know why? Because Henry Ford was addicted to blow. <laughs> Henry Fonda was addicted to Taiwanese hookers. That's what I... You get those okay. mixed up. I get it. I get them mixed up. You get those up. mixed up. I'm um, becoming senile. Yeah, I, I understand. Um, but the nice thing about... I don't know if it was the nice thing, but it just happened to work out because the filming schedule was so... I was so, thinking of Gerald yeah, Ford. Gerald, now, he had both. He had a, a crippling coke habit and a soft right. spot for hookers. 
and he liked things up his ass. <laughs> that's true. That's how okay. you can, that's how you can tell him apart. Right. You know. Or am I am I confusing him with the guy that played the father in Superman? <laughs> oh my god. Um Oh shit, who I, oh who was it? I can't think of his name now. You you said it too fast. I've broke your brain. Now I can't too. think Oh I can't, oh Glenn Ford. <laughs> oh, Glenn, right, Glenn Ford. Ford. Glenn Ford. Okay, good. He's the guy Glenn with Ford the coke have, habit. He didn't have any problem. No, no, no. He didn't. No, he, he was, was a good he guy. He was fine. He was. He was good. He would just, you know, occasionally murder his co-stars. That's all. <laughs> occasionally, but everybody liked him so much, and he was absolutely he was such a nice guy. He was absolutely reliable on the set. I mean, he learned right. his lines. He found his mark right. every time. So they exactly. would cover it up because you can't. You don't. I mean, mm-hmm. Glenn Fords don't come around that often. Yeah, you know, it's like Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford doesn't know how to fly. He's never taken a flying lesson, no. which is why he crashes all the time. <laughs> People just let him fly because he really but wants really, to. He wants to kill somebody by crashing a plane on him. That's what I heard. <laughs> he, he aims for people's houses. Yes, he aims. He's as high as a kite because he loves marijuana. <laughs> he, he aims at people's houses, but he misses because he's such a crappy pilot. That's right. <laughs> Have we missed any Fords? Um. I don't think we have. I don't think we had not any major ones. Okay, great. What a wonderful tangent we went on. <laughs> if there are any left, though, they're all drug addicts, too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's just a really rotten family. That whole family tree is yeah. just terrible. Um, right, yeah. Anyway, so the I point mean, I was trying... The point <laughs> Jane Fonda ashes her cigarette into a baby's skull. <laughs> See, I went all the way around back to Fonda. That's why she went to Vietnam. That's right. She had to get one. Jesus. <laughs> I, I made it worse. <laughs> um, Come on, guys. We're not much more than jesters to the, for the apocalypse anyway. Yeah, I mean, so really. Our jokes may as well be dark. If you're, if you're that upset at our jokes, congratulations on having what must be an amazing life. <laughs> because... Please send them to the celebrities we mentioned. The majority of them are dead, <laughs> but I'd love to get exposure for the show. Please let's start a feud with the Glenn Ford estate. <laughs> His middle-class grandchildren. <laughs> getting pissed off at us for besmirching the memory of their grandfather for no reason. Yeah, who knows? Maybe his brand will get a boost. Who's talked about him in, in a while? That's true. I mean, as far as I knew, he actually died in Superman. Mm-hmm. Like We could just keep going. We can go from Glenn Ford to Glenn Campbell. Oh, now that is fertile soil right there, buddy. That's a dark story oh, what, about if, demons. If we want to get into country music, we're going to have to just do a whole show. <laughs> Come on, you still have trivia. Yes, okay, I, I do. So the whole point I was trying to make was that oh, right, yeah. the, the the breakneck pace at which they were filming, it created, uh, uh, of course, a lot of stress and tension on the set. And that right. actually worked for this movie because that mo- the movie is all about stress this and stress and tension building and building and building for the main character. Um, right. Not not an ideal work environment, but I think in this case it, it, it no, kind of worked. Can you imagine some of the scenes where, where he's, Lumet is just yelling at Al Pacino, faster, please! <laughs> Don't yell at me, please. Pick up the puppy! <laughs> pick, up the, pick up the fucking puppy, Al! <laughs> we have 12 more setups today! Um, and finally, finally, uh, we have 12 more. Get the witch doctor to change his hair and age the dog. Why didn't you shave your beard? God damn it. I need you to show up ready to work. Every time we have to use the witch doctor for your facial hair, part of my soul gets collected in that jar that's around his belt. Oh my God. 
I can't become a part of any more Horcruxes, Al. I can't do it. <laughs> um, so, despite the fact that this is a movie about the widespread corruption in the New York Police Department. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm just picturing the, the witch doctor at craft service. Oh my God. Just indifferently spooning macaroni salad onto a paper plate. Francis Ford Coppola needs me for Apocalypse Now. <laughs> he didn't get into too many details over the phone, but it sounds like a real shit show. <laughs> All right. I'll okay. You, so, I'm, I'm so, so the movie, <laughs> the movie is about corruption in the NYPD. But despite that, the NYPD actually cooperated with the production of the film, and uh, and well, they had to. I, that's what I was thinking. It's like because this this all the movie obviously the movie started filming after the real life Serpico story became a big year news. after. Yeah, yeah, right after. But after. yeah, so it would have looked really bad for the NYPD to refuse to cooperate yeah, with the movie, um, which is probably why they did it. But Sidney Lumet later said that he was very happy with the cooperation and, and that the, the, the officers that were assigned to sort of help with the movie uh, were actually really, really supportive of it um, and, and helped out in a lot of ways. So that was nice, you know, even though they right. were probably ordered to do it by a, mm. a, by a frightened and embarrassed administration. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my trivia. Yay! I don't have anything to add. I think I added enough with the witch doctor, don't you? I, I, I definitely do, yeah. And our bizarre extended diatribe about the private lives of the celebrities that provide us with entertainment. I cannot help but bite at every hand that comes towards me. <laughs> I hate the people that make the things I love. I'm not interested in your private life. Just get on stage, monkey, <laughs> Just and make me forget the hell that I live in. Just shut the fuck up and say the lines. You're, you're an actor. You're not a philosopher. Shut the fuck I up. I don't care how you feel about the president or anything. I don't give a fuck about starving children or rainforests that are burning down. I, I mean, I do personally care. I don't care that you care. Okay? <laughs> That's the perfect... Oh, no, no, no. I care. I don't care that you care. <laughs> Shut up. Take your fucking statue and get the fuck off the stage. <laughs> All right, let's do who made it. You let's ready? do who made it. Okay, it was directed by Sidney Lumet, and he's directed 12 Angry Men and Dog Day Afternoon and Network, a movie that we have not done yet, Steve. That's Why? right. I, I have no idea. We, should, we we definitely need to do it at some point. I know we do. It's a great movie. Produced by Martin Brigman, and he's also produced Scarface, Sea of Love, Carlito's Way, and since we're keeping with all movies that apparently star Al Pacino, yeah. The Adventures of Pluto Nash, that multi-academy award winning movie oh yes that i think kind of killed a few careers <laughs> i think it did too screenplay by waldo salt and he also did midnight cowboy and coming home norman wexler who wrote saturday night fever and mandingo oh boy the movie that only survives because of the title <laughs> based on serpico by peter mass starring al pacino as frank serpico you know who he is. He's, Why? he's made Force some movies. Me. He's made some movies. 
John Randolph as Chief Sidney Green. Um, now, he, you guys would recognize him because he's done tons of TV and film. Um, he was blacklisted because he refused to testify back in the 1950s. He was blacklisted for a little while. So good on you, Frank. Yeah. John, not Frank, whatever his name is. John. John. Good for you. You're dead. I don't care. Good job. You didn't testify. You and your wife. You could console each other by all the fucking you did in the 50s instead of getting work. <laughs> <laughs> Had to pass the time somehow. I don't know why I'm in this mood. Jack Kehoe as Tom Kehoe, spelled differently. Um, and you'd recognize him from movies like Car Wash and The Untouchables and Midnight Run, which I don't think qualifies as a classic, but it should. It's a really great movie. Yeah. Um, Biff McGuire as Captain Inspector McLean. A lot of stuff. Barbara Ida Young as Lori. Zip. Cornelia Sharp as Leslie. Zilch. Edward Grover as Inspector Lombardo. Zero. <laughs> Tony Roberts as Bob Blair. And you'll recognize him from six Woody Allen films. Mm-hmm. And a lot of whole, a whole lot of other films on top of that as well. Alan Rich as D.A. Herman Tauber. A lot. Albert Henderson as Pool Peluche. Peluche. I can't. Whatever. A lot. Joseph Bova as Potts. Very little. Like four movies. And none of them you'd recognize. They're like... You know, Twinkling Time Station or something. I don't. Nothing that anyone has ever heard. Um, Woody King Jr. is Larry. A lot of stage work, not a whole lot of film work. James Tolkien as Lieutenant Steiger, and you guys know him from Back to the Future. Yeah. And as that character from Back to the Future, even in this movie, he's always been playing this character. I half expected except- him to call Serpico a slacker when he showed up. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. <laughs> Uh, Bernard Barrow as Inspector Roy Palmer, a lot of soap operas. Nathan George as Lieutenant Nate Nate Smith, uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Clute, and a couple of other movies. M. Emmett Walsh as Gallagher, and you guys know him from everything, (laughs) from The Jerk to a a character voice on Iron Giant, to Raising Arizona, to Blade Runner. You guys will know him the instant. If you don't recognize the name, you'll know him the instant you see him. Oh, yeah. He's one of my favorite character actors of all time. And he he actually has played a lot of different characters in a lot of different movies. I mean, just in that just in the mentioning of it, from the jerk to Blade Runner. Yeah, so, yeah, quite a range. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, Ted uh, Benedis, I don't care, as Al Sarno when he was in Scarface. F. Murray Abraham uh-huh. as one of the cops who went uncredited. And he's looked the same for yeah. 70 years. Yes, he has. <laughs> and, I don't know if you caught this, Judd Hirsch as one of the hospital police guards. Yeah. yeah. He was like, there, he had a line and everything. And I'm like, what is he, 12? <laughs> <laughs> Can I be in your movie, Mr. Lamette, please? Music by Mikus Theodoricus. I don't. I don't. I, that's Theodoricus. It looks good to me. I, I hope he didn't grow up in America, because they would have totally made fun of him. Cinematography by Arthur J. Ornitz. Edited by Dee Dee Allen. Good job, Dee Dee. I know that they locked you in a room and just <laughs> threw film stock at you. <laughs> make it make sense. We need this in an hour. <laughs> <laughs> But we're filming backwards for his hair. We got a witch doctor. We'll take care of it. Don't worry. <laughs> Production companies, Artists Entertainment's Complex Inc. 
and Produzion de Laurentis International Manufacturing Company, SPA. Don't know what the SPA stands for. Please stop putting manufacturing company in your yeah in your production company names. I mean, the other one was complex. I mean, guys, come on. You're supposed to be making magic, not reminding us that you're a soulless corporation that's out to make a buck. Exactly. Like DreamWorks. Yeah. <laughs> Don't remind us of industrialization. Even though DreamWorks, DreamWorks, I've already said it, DreamWorks makes your nightmares real. (laughs) (laughs) Distributed by Paramount Pictures. Release date, December 5th, 1973. Running time, 130 minutes. Budget, $3.3 million. Adjusted for inflation, $19.2 million. Box office, $23.4 million. Adjusted for inflation, $135.3 million. And made enough money to make a sequel called Serpico 2. Who else can I rat on? (laughs) He moves to Philadelphia and the same shit happens. That's right. All right, Steve, you ready to go? I'm ready. This biopic about a guy who just wants to be a cop. That's right. He wants to do good and and can't because everyone's shitty and the whole city is shitty. 1970s New York is shitty. Yeah. That, that's <laughs> one, one of the, the underlying after- messages of the movie, I think. One of the things that oh, here's some here's some of my trivia. Yeah. Some of the fallout from him from him testifying and him going forward, the first cop in New York City's history to do so. Yes. Is that New York's response was, since most of the graft was being performed in the vice units, they pulled on on pulled back on vice. So drug dealing and prostitution, the cops barely went after them anymore because they need to keep the heat off because that's where they were getting all of this, all of this money from. Yeah. And New York sank into despair. <laughs> I guess the cops just said, fuck it, we don't need to do anything. And New York became a crime-riddled hellhole that <laughs> that was the unintended side effect of what happened with the cops. Thanks, Serpico. Thanks, Serpico. We liked it when our cops took money. <laughs> and they were only prejudiced. I mean, that was fine. Whatever. Oh, it was fine with some of us, anyway. <laughs> I could walk down the street. <laughs> cops never bothered me. All right, we both got beards now, so we're good on that. Ah, uh, good. Let's put on, let's put on big ladies' floppy hats. Oh yes, I love those big floppy hats for ladies. For ladies, that you can wear as a man. Yeah. Let's just yeah, let's wear whatever we want. It's comfortable. A schmuck. Yeah. I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna put on this rain jacket <laughs> and um, uh, ballerina slippers. Why Fuck, not? Why not? Why not? You're plain clothes, like man. Yeah. Yeah, I'm plain clothes. Even though plain clothes usually just means plain clothes, not dressed like a butcher. <laughs> Costumes. I expected him to show up at one point dressed like a mariachi band member. Serpico. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's. We're we're good. We're ready to. go. We're ready to right? go. We're all warmed up. Good. You're not gonna rat on me, are you? Never. Okay. Let's run into the world, in the dingy streets of Serpico, Steve. Yeah. Take it away. <gasps> well, I. It seems like it's gonna be a short movie because it looks like Serpico's already been shot. Well, first we open with black. That's true. Yeah. Right. And simple, simple, simple opening credits. Oh yes, just simple white on black names. No music. Yeah. And we're hearing a, a thumping back and forth. We're not quite sure what it is. Could be a heartbeat. And we hear a, si- a police siren. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Fantastic opening. I loved it. If you want to hook me good, get me interested while showing me words on a screen. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> 
But it turns out it, the 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 thumping is a uh, our windshield wipers. Yeah, and it's a cop, and um, Serpico's dead. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's not looking good. No, he's in the back of a What's police car. On? He's in the back of a police car. He looks like he's been shot in the face. Uh, and these cops are driving him to the hospital in the police car. Right. Now, for people who know what happened, he has, and they don't let the audience know. We get to find this out much later. Yeah. Um, he's been shot in the face uh, during a drug bust. Mm-hmm. And the reason he's in a police car and on an ambulance is they never called in a 1013. Exactly. Because this is in the middle of every cop knows that he has been talking to authorities about the graft that's been going on in, you know, in New York City. And there were actually theories around at the time that the cops led him to a trap to get mm-hmm. shot by this guy. Yeah. But we don't know any of this. No, not He's yet. It's just like, oh, look, this cop is driving a hobo who's got <laughs> blood all over his face. That's nice of the cops to drive the dead hobo to the hospital. <laughs> that's really great of them. They get, to, they get to the hospital, and they start taking off his shoes and socks and cutting his, his jewelry off. And um, we can kind of see that he's been shot in the face, right? Yeah. And he seems kind of out of it. And then all of a sudden, people start getting phone calls. Who gets the first phone call, Steve? Um, is it his... It's it, the police station. The poli- yeah, yeah, and it's the, 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 the captain shows up, right? Well, they call the police yeah. station, and then one cop says to the other one, Did you hear? Serpico's been shot. And the other guy goes, yay! And he puts on a hat and he starts doing the cha-cha. Serpico's been shot! Serpico's been shot! Get the cake out! Get the cake out! We can be crooked again! Who won the pool? Let him know. He won the pool. He's been shot this week. Somebody blow up the bouncy castle. Yeah, what he actually says is, was it one of our guys? Yeah, yeah. What's he mean by that? Yeah, and we're like, oh. Oh, okay. Cops kill other cops? Don't I wish. <laughs> Shush. Anyway, uh, then we see uh, that uh, Chief Sidney Green gets a telephone call. Yeah. And they say, hey, Serpico's been shot. And he's like, oh, God. And he gets up. And he runs to the he runs to the, the hospital, and he tells the guard, the, the cops outside, you're going to protect this room. You're going to, you know, you're not going to say anything about it. You don't, you, and don't go in and shoot him again. Don't yeah, do it. Yeah, just don't because kill right him. Now they don't. Just don't kill him. I know you want to. And Judd Hirsch is like, okay, I'll die. I'll, yes, sir. No, sir. Right, just save your neurotic Judd Hirsch shit. Just do as I tell you. Right. And then he goes in, and he holds his hand. Yeah. And uh, Al Pacino looks dead. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's really good at that. He looks dead. <laughs> he looks dead. And then he has a dream about the past. Yeah. Or something. We, we, we flash back to him becoming a cop, like graduating from the police academy. Right. And he gets his... The, the guy who's giving the speech at the police academy has this hilarious speech about how when you're a cop, you need to be courteous and, and, and respectful and... And uh, pillars of society, and treat everybody fairly. And I'm, his fingers are obviously crossed right. behind. His like, back. how does he get through this without laughing? Because he's done it so much. He's just delivered the same speech so often he can do it right. without cracking up. And then he goes outside and he sees his family. Yeah, and they take pictures and. Mm-hmm. And that's it. We don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> it's sad. <laughs> Because this is the only happy moment that he has from here on out, yeah, for the most part. Pretty much, yeah. Well, because then we see him, he gets his first... He goes to the precinct where he's starting work as a cop. 
mm-hmm. and you know he like gives his badge and his name to the desk sergeant, and the sergeant is basically just like, oh, okay, whatever, go upstairs, just you'll look. For- Here's your envelope of graft. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> pretty much. You know, like it's just like, oh, go upstairs, ask, go, you go know, upstairs, find a map of your precinct, memorize it, figure out where you need to go. Mm. Blah, blah blah blah. Like nobody's, you know, he's just sort of like yeah. pushed into. He's just a guy. Yeah, he's just a guy. With a couple other guys that are just like him. And then he goes into the squad room for the thing. And what does he say? What does the guy say? What they're supposed to be focused on is... Uh, Cite- it was something about citations or something? I forget. It wasn't, it wasn't citations. It wasn't citations. It was something along those lines. But he's like, citations, citations, citations. Yeah, it was like, something like that. Not, Go stop crime. It's, like, it's, ma- it's hit your numbers. Exactly. Hit yeah. your numbers. Hit your numbers. Right. And... Uh, so he gets assigned a guy, a partner, a dude, whatever. Yeah. And they're on patrol, and it's, it's late, and and uh, they get a squawk over the radio that says, uh, suspected rape, please, in the name of God, someone respond <laughs> Somebody to help. this. Please. And his partner his like, partner doesn't want to take go. it. We should go take that. Yeah. <laughs> what? His partner doesn't want to take it because he says, well, it's it's almost, at, it's it's outside of their area. Yeah, but it borders it. Right. He said rape. We yeah. should probably go do something. <gasps> and he's like, I'm sleeping. Can you see that? My head's back. <laughs> Hat down. Snoozy, snoozy, boozy. <laughs> if I wanted to stop crime, would I be a cop? Come on. Remember, right before that, we had the restaurant scene. Where they go in, and the one guy orders That's special. Right. Yeah. And Baron Harkonnen goes, yeah, sure, here you go. Because it's the same actor who played Baron Harkonnen. It's not even credited in the movie. <laughs> anyway, he, he, another one of my favorite character actors. And then Serpico goes, I want roast beef sandwich. And the other guy's like, oh, you ordered the roast beef. You son of a... Oh, okay, you'll get your roast beef. <laughs> and they get they sit down, and he looks in it, and he said, there's spit in it. <laughs> He said that the roast beef didn't have any fat, right? Right. And the guy's like, look, lunch is free. Right. And Just eat it. You, you should have ordered the soup like I did, you dumb fuck, because, you know what, we, we do favors for him, and he does favors for us. This is how things work. Police, The police aren't much more than a fucking gang. Do you get it? We're a gang. We're a legal gang who can shoot people. <laughs> do you understand now, you dumb rookie? <laughs> right. Just keep your head down. Go along. Put some mayonnaise on your sandwich. There's enough fat in there. Shut up and eat it. <laughs> and then they get the call. Then they get the call. And he goes, broom, and he drives his police car, and he gets there, and there's a bunch of guys definitely sexually assaulting a woman. Yeah. And he pulls out his gun, and the guy has a knife, and he holds it up to the woman and says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill her. And he puts his, he holsters his gun and turns off his flashlight, and then they all run, and then Serpigo, and the poor woman, her top is, it's, this is an awful scene. Yeah, it's, yeah. What a ha- happy, happy scene. Yeah. <laughs> to start the movie off. Yeah, so Serpico chases him down on foot. He, he, he catches one of the guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and he arrests him. And he arrests him. him. And they bring him in, and uh, the first thing that the guy who he gives him to does is start to beat him up a lot. Yeah. A lot. Yeah, a lot. like really work him over. And Serpico walks out of the room. He says, no, I don't want to do that. Yeah, yeah. He's like, he, he asks him, do you want a piece of this? Yeah. He's like, no, I'm okay. I got to file the paperwork. Right. And um, I think now would be a good time to mention the race of the person that we've arrested. Yes. <laughs> Everybody want? Yeah, does anybody want to guess? The cops are white. But first, we need to mention the uh, cold, callous treatment that they give to the witness who has to testify of what happened to her. And so we get a a uh, a scene of that, which is not good. 
No, because she's just yeah. sitting there and everybody is standing around. She's just sitting like out in yeah, the it's open. It's like two doctors and nine detectives. Yeah. And she recounts what they did. And then they, the guy says she'll make a great witness and they hustle her off because it's kind of made clear that that's all sh- that matters to the cops is that she'll make a good witness. Right. Right? There is another cop there, a lady cop, who is kind of a little bit more comforting to her, but... So the next, oh, and then they tell him he's not getting the collar, right? Right. They tell him he's not getting the collar for this? Yeah, well, because, yeah, because he's like, I want the collar because I ran the guy down. I arrested him. And mm. they give him some bullshit about, like, well, but you were out of position because technically it wasn't your sector. And you're going to have to fill right. out paperwork about that. And, you know, traditionally mm. the detective that catches the case gets the collar. They, they give him all, like, and they, they basically say, like, if you take the collar, then you have to fill out all this paperwork and you might get in mm-hmm. trouble. And it's just, right. you should just give us the collar. So then they're taking everybody to jail, and the guy that he ran down, um, he pulls from the line and uncuffs him and takes him to get a cup of coffee because he's good copping him. Right, and he yeah, right. and he wants he wants this. I mean, I think he 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 wants the other two guys. He wants he wants him to flip on the other guys that got away. Right, but he's doing it by right. treating him with a little bit of humanity instead of trying to intimidate him. Right. Yeah. Which makes him a better band man than me because all I'd want to do is beat him. <laughs> <laughs> He's a rapist. He did a very Fuck bad him. thing. He did a very bad thing. Fuck yeah. him. <laughs> But he good cops him. He gets some information out of him, and then he's out on patrol, and he sees the guys yeah. playing basketball in a court, and he calls it in, and he says, I need guys down here. I'm all by myself. And they're like, you're not supposed to be doing that. What are you doing? And he's like, but I got to yeah. do it because I'm, 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 I'm a cop, and this is what cops do. I'm catching the rapists. And they're like, whatever, click. Yeah. And so then he dresses up in plain clothes, and then he nabs both the guys. Yep. Right? And he brings them in, and they're like, thanks, Serpico, you're not getting credit for this either. And he's like, what? Ha ha. But I caught the bad guys. <laughs> Wah ha ha. I don't understand. We don't care. We don't care. Fuck you. <laughs> we just want to get paid. This is just a job that's to right. us. You'll get the assist, but that's it. Yeah, that's exactly, yeah. We did our part. We sat on our fat fucking asses here at the station. And 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 basically, I ate cheese doodles. He got a blowjob from one of the prostitutes we arrested last night. Don't put that in your report. <laughs> Why are you writing that down? Don't put that in your report. <laughs> so he's kind of sick, and he's like, maybe should think about getting a different job, maybe, Steve. He doesn't, yeah, well, he seems to have expectations of the job that are at odds with, like, everybody else that we see doing the job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it doesn't seem to work. No. So what happens next? Uh, he gets well. He he transfers to BCI, right? Which is Bureau yeah. Civic in, in something. Yeah, but yeah, and and he's like examining fingerprints and stuff because like his uh, yeah. his 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 whole goal is he wants to get promoted. He wants to make detective. Right. And so he goes to BCI. He wants that gold shield. Yeah, exactly. Think, so he goes to BCI thinking that's that's a good career track. You know, he'll, he'll work there for mm-hmm. a little while, he'll make his name, and then they'll, they'll notice him and they'll promote him. Um, right. Yeah. And he meets a lady. Yes, he does. And I can't remember where he meets the lady. Where does he meet the where lady? Does he, where does he meet the lady? I can't remember where he I meets her. Probably in a garbage is can it when in he, New York in the 70s. Is it, <laughs> is it, after, he, is, is it after he moves? Because he moves to a new apartment. Does he run into her on the street or something? I can't remember. I don't remember. I can't remember. <laughs> but yeah, he meets he meets a lady. Yes, and boy, she can act. Yeah. <laughs> 
he meets a lady, and they start this little courtship, right? Yeah. Where like she's like, I can't, I can't believe, are you really a cop? And she's like a ballet dancer. Yeah. Yeah. Of something, something, and another thing. Right? Right. And so they start falling in love, and it's cute. Whatever. Anyway, um, back at the BCI, people think he's a weirdo because he's a weirdo. <laughs> yeah, well, one of the things is there's a scene where he's, like, examining fingerprints, and it's like one of the other cops there is like, you only need to do, like, two or three of those just to say you did it. And and he's, like, yeah. going through every single one. And because his, his, his explanation is, well, I don't want somebody who didn't do anything to wind up with a record. Like he actually cares about examining the evidence and making sure that they 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 get the right person. Right. And the other mm-hmm. cops are just like, oh God, whatever. Mm-hmm. Is it this department when he goes in and he's got a mustache and long hair, and they say you can't have a mustache and long hair, and then he convinces them, I want a long mustache because I'm no, that's the next department. Yeah. Well, yeah, because he well yeah he he gets transferred from from BCI to another precinct. Um, yeah, and that's when he walks into the desk sergeant, and the, and the sergeant is like, you know, you got to shave, you got to cut your hair. And that's when he goes to talk to the captain, and he basically says, hey, undercover cops are too easy to spot. Um, mm-hmm. So I think you should... Because they wear ponchos that say cops on right. them. <laughs> and that, I think you should stop wearing ponchos that says, I'm a cop. Because, you know, the drug dealers and, and, and people in graft and, and mobsters know that you're a cop if you wear I'm a cop ponchos. <laughs> he basically says to his new boss on the first day of work, I don't want to shave. I don't want to cut my hair. I don't want to wear a uniform. I just want to kind of just walk around town and look for crimes. And, and, and I want to look like a hobo. And the captain says, okay. Real people look like they shopped at five different thrift stores and just walked out with whatever they could grab. That's what I want to look like. <laughs> Meanwhile, his his relationship with the girl progresses. They go to a party and she introduces him and tells everybody that, that he's a cop and people like get out of, they leave immediately. Right. Right. Exactly. And he says, please don't tell him I'm a cop, okay? And she's like, okay, sweetie buns. But then he starts talking about it with other people. And right. he has a good time. Yeah, right? he has a good time at the party. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's great. And then we have one of the... Oh, why did they leave this in, Steve? <laughs> I love it when, when movies tell me things that I don't need to know. Oh? Because I already figured it out from the filmmaking. It's a, it's a wide shot of them dancing in the party. And obviously, they, they, <laughs> they dubbed in two lines... That didn't need to be there. Their mouths are not saying these words. <laughs> but the words are from her. Uh, what was it? No, from him. I think your friends love me. And she says, I love you. Aww. I hate it. I hate just it. Just in case you didn't get it's, it. Just in case you're blind and you stumbled into the theater. <laughs> What's this scene about? What is, what is this? Sir Pico. This is behind the green door. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> Wrong theater. <laughs> um and so now we get to find out what it's like in his new department. What is it like? Oh yeah. What is it like in his new department? Well this, is this where he I bet there is clean I yeah. bet they're on the up and up. This is right? this is where he gets offered his first bribe, right? Um yep. someone just one of his fellow cops like kinda just hands him an envelope and says, Hey Frank, this is for you. And he it's got 300 bucks, he's got 300 in, bucks it. in it. And he just kind of, you know, he takes it home and just kind of puts it in a book. Like he doesn't, he, you know, he, he does because he, he took the envelope, not knowing what was in it. And no, he went straight to, he went straight and reported it. He's like, I, they gave me this money and I don't know what to do. And they said, look, you can either 
keep it. Because when does he meet Tony Roberts? Not yet. Not until he moves to the next precinct, I think. Okay. Okay. So he immediately goes to the super. No, that's a different. That's a different one. That's when he. That's after he meets Tony Roberts. Yeah, he just sticks it. He in sticks book. it in a book the first time. Doesn't he return it though? And he says, "I don't know what to do with this." And the guy says, "We'll donate it to. We'll uh, donate, donate it to, to charity the, or something. Yeah, or give it to the PBA. Yeah, a, give it to the a, Benevolent Association. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah exactly." And he's he's heartsick now because he's been offered a bribe and he don't like that. And then some shit happens. One of the guys, James Tol, he works with James Tolkien, right? Yeah. And so it's a complete misunderstanding. But he goes to the bathroom to go pee, and one of the cops is spying on a woman across across the street. And then he goes. So they turn the lights off. He goes to look. He doesn't see anything. And then James Tolkien comes in and accuses both of them of being homosexuals. Right, because they're all by themselves sneaking around in the. Men- room what mm-hmm. else is he supposed Which, to think right and he found underwear with cum on them yeah. in the bathroom why was he searching for it i don't know <laughs> well, I, he well, must be the resident cum hound dog <laughs> of the precinct quick get tolkien i'm pretty sure that there's cum somewhere in this in this apartment he can sniff out a cum he can stain find it anywhere <laughs> there's cum in this sandwich <laughs> yeah so Nuts. yeah it's it's you know no no it's it sprouts they put sprouts on your sandwich. <laughs> it's yeah it smells similar but it's not the same. Thank God for you, Tolkien. <laughs> anyway, so he has to have a hearing about it. Yeah, yeah, and he's and he's he fe- he thinks it's a little ridiculous that it's even being talked about. He's yeah. like, are you actually accusing me of something here? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the other cop has disappeared. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And he's like, oh, there's Tolkien accusing somebody else of being a homosexual because he found my underwear once. Oops, I mean, oh, look at all this paperwork. <laughs> he found my underwear once. Um, and then things sour at that precinct, right? Yeah. Well, is this when, when does he do, um, he's out on patrol dressed as like a painter or something, and, and he catches a, a thief, is that is that oh, at this right. precinct? So what happens is, yeah, I think it's in this precinct. Yeah. So what happens is, he's just wearing his normal clothes. He's not dressed like a painter. He just he's wearing painter clothes. <laughs> That's just how he dresses. Reason. He rocks a nice painter smock when he goes out on the street. And, That's all. And he witnesses a burglar, yeah. burglar, and he starts chasing the burglar. And then cops come around on the other side of an alley, and the cops pop out of out of the cop car, and one guy just starts shooting yeah. all over the place. Yeah. To the point in which he has to hide because one, he's not dressed like a cop, doesn't look like himself, and he has to scream, "I'm a cop! I'm a cop! I'm a cop!" Yeah. So they grab the guy, they have the loot, and the guy who shot—he's mad at the guy who shot at him because he didn't say "stop" or "I'll shoot." Yeah, right? they didn't. He didn't warn at all. Like he just started shooting. Mm-hmm. And the guy is like, "I'm sorry, but you don't look like a cop." And he does kind of have a point. He doesn't look like a cop. He looks like a homeless hippie guy. And apparently he didn't have, like, a radio or anything. Like, he didn't let anybody know where he was or what he was doing. Mm. So, I mean, it's they, the cops should totally not have just started shooting at all. That's completely their fault. Mm. But you can't blame him for not but knowing also, that he was a cop. if you're a cop, you should probably look like a cop. Right. Right. <laughs> or at least let the other cops know that you're in the area and you're not dressed like a cop. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> But even even despite all that, the cop that shot at him wants to take wants to get the the collar. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. And they say we just shared it. You shared it, but I've got to explain why there are bullets everywhere. <laughs> and it would just make more sense if if I got to go ahead and 
and and capture the collar and then please please do it i'm sorry i shot at you and he agrees right yeah he's really he he's really pissed off about it but he agrees to it yeah 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 and he agrees to it meanwhile love shit yeah <laughs> <laughs> at some point they break up right? yes it's the booby scene i think isn't they're it? in the yeah they're in, they're in, in the, the bathtub. bathtub yeah yeah and, and she's like by the way i'm getting boobies. married to somebody else <laughs> Yeah, I'm moving to Texas, and I'm going to marry them in two months unless you marry me. And he's like, nope. Bye. And so she's gone. <laughs> anyway, so he's he's sick of all the bribes. He's sick of his partners picking up envelopes, right? Yeah. He's just done. Yeah. And he wants to go to another precinct. And so he goes. Yeah. And, they, and the guy at that precinct swears to him oh, yeah. that they are as clean as a whistle. They are upright and they're good. Absolutely. No corruption, no graft, nothing. Yeah. He says all this while someone hands him a large manila envelope. <laughs> and he says, don't you worry about this. These are um, pictures of my grandkids. There we go. It's, it's like one step removed from Claude Rains being handed his gambling winnings in Casablanca. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's that cartoonish. He's like there. It's it's not quite as, as you're... It's, he literally his first day there he gets offered a bribe, mm-hmm. and but when I mean, he's there he meets an old friend from the academy. Yeah, and and um, he's crooked. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, yeah. They're real crooked. Oh boy, more yeah. More crooked than in the other one because they're not much more than enforcers. Right, right. And an enforcer in the mob is someone that breaks legs in order to get payments. And that's what they do. Yeah. Because they're not really cops anymore. No. They go out, they get money, they split it amongst themselves, and um, this is when he meets Tony Roberts somehow. Right. How did he meet him? Oh, I can't... Did he go into testify? <sighs> was there a glory hole involved? <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember how they meet, but I remember... Uh, I remember that scene that they have when they're talking to each other okay. in, the, in the subway station. So here's, here's, here's how they meet. I remember. Okay. So the cops think it's a great idea. To call everyone into the squad room and have all of them smoke <gasps> marijuana. That's right. Marijuana cigarettes. Right. Marijuana cigarettes. Because they need to know what it, you know, what it tastes like, what it smells like, what it does, what its street names are. Here you go. Smoke them. And so he's sitting next to Tony Roberts and they both get a uh, uh, high, basically. Yeah. And then they say good shit because it's very apparent that both of them have probably smoked marijuana before this. It's kind of a ridiculous thing. Yeah, it's but, like you know. they're talking about it like it's some kind of alien herb that nobody's ever mm. heard of before. And they're on the subway and Tony Roberts has the munchies. And they both realize that they're both kind of weirdos, right? So he confines, because Tony Roberts is going off to do something else. What is he gonna go? He's do? gonna go. He's gonna be well because he has connections, right? He has he he right. knows somebody like in the mayor's office or something. So he's going off to some more prestigious job. Exactly, yeah. and uh, he tells him all about it, about the craft and everything, and how it's horrible. And so Tony Roberts says, "Hey, I know somebody high up. We'll go talk to him. We'll go talk to him, right? Yeah. Because what he's doing now is he's not accepting the money. The guy who offers him the money says, I'll just keep it for you, right? He says, hey, don't worry about it. And the guy he's partnered with right now is a complete piece of shit. Oh, yeah. And, you know, he drives crazy backwards down a street to nab a guy, to beat him up, to get money. And he's got, like, this apartment that he has on the side where he can watch sports and drink and lay around and he's like here's your cut and Serpico's like I don't want a cut I'm a good guy <laughs> and you're a bad guy and he says don't worry I'll keep this money right here right. for you if you change your mind 
Now, this is never explicitly said, but this is graft was pretty common. Probably still is. And um, the thing about graft within the police department is, is that even if you are trying to be a good cop and not betray your other police officers, you still have to take the fucking money. Yeah, ex- exactly. Because if you to. if you don't take it, then they automatically think that you're against them. Right. And they need to know, well, it's a two-part thing. If you take the money and then they all get caught, you're in there with them. You can't testify against them and say, I didn't take any money when it's clear that you have. So, one, they need to know that they can trust you because you're taking the money. And two, if you don't take the money, then they keep a closer eye on you. Right. Right? Um, because you potentially could be snitching. Surprise, Serpico snitching. <gasps> anyway, he tells he tells this guy who's who's eating a lobster and just <laughs> drowning it in butter. What do I do? And he says, "Well, look, if you if you go forward and testify, they'll kill you, or you could just ignore it, take the fucking money." <laughs> Basically, yeah. And so him and Tony Roberts are a little upset about this, and they start thinking about other people who they could possibly tell, right? Yeah. Because he's not going to his superiors in his precinct because he figures they're all on graft as well, right? Yeah, exactly. The whole thing top to bottom, because all of the detectives in his unit, they're all on it. They all have, they're all getting money, right? And so what happens? He meets another lady. Yeah, who lives uh, next door. Next door convenience. Yeah. They start fucking or something. I don't know. <laughs> She's mainly just there to, to cry when he starts yelling at her. Exactly. Uh, that's later. That's later. <laughs> um, but this is now a series of him trying to inform people about what's going on and all of that following, falling out because no one really wants to do anything about it. He keeps meeting this bald accountant-looking dude in a car, and he says, yeah. don't worry, you know, the commissioner yeah. will contact you. Right. He never does. He never does. And every time they go up to somebody, like, there's this one guy who's, like, in the DA's office, and he's really gung-ho, and he really wants to do it, and then he goes to his superiors, and they're like, we don't care. <laughs> right. So basically, Look, summer's yeah. going to be hot, and we might have a riot, and we don't want to riot and expose all of the corruption about the... About the police? What are you crazy? They'll burn the whole city to the ground. <laughs> and he's getting more and more frustrated because the more people he talks to, the more risk he's in, involved in. Because yeah. if the cops that he works with find out, then they'll probably kill him. Yeah, exactly. And so he's becoming more agitated. And what does any man do when he becomes agitated? He yells at his partner <laughs> that's a lot. What, that's what Frank does. <laughs> And Frank starts yelling at her a lot, and he starts yelling at Tony Roberts a lot. Yeah. And they don't want to go to the newspapers because that would be bad. They want to try to keep it, you know, they don't want to go to the mayor's office because that's going above everybody's head, and that's not keeping it within the department. He thinks somehow that he's going to be able to report this, and it'll never make it to the newspapers, and it'll just be this internal thing, right? Right, yeah, that seems to be what he's thinking. Yeah. stupid. Or at least naive when it comes to this sort of stuff, right? Right. Because he's obviously risking stuff. But it gets out. People start asking him questions. They're like, hey, Serpico. And he's like, hi, how you doing? <laughs> hey, Serpico. You a fucking rat? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who are you talking to all the time? Nobody. I'm not talking to nobody. I don't, I don't nothing. I'm, I'm fine. Uh, oh, look. It's, it's time to put food in my mouth time. That thing that we eat. <laughs> Lunchtime? Yeah, it's yeah. lunchtime. Nom, nom, it's nom, nom, 7 nom. o'clock at night. <laughs> it's 7 o'clock at night, Frank. I'm hungry. Mm-hmm. 
And so, I mean, there's already suspicion about it. And um, then he, he moves precincts one more time, doesn't he? After yes. all of the rumors are now starting to yes. spread about him. Yes. And then all of a sudden, all of the commissioners find out, right? Right. And uh, not the commissioners, but his higher ups. His superiors, his yeah. And they call him in and say, why didn't you come to us? <laughs> yeah. We're totally innocent. We totally would have backed you. <laughs> yeah. Should have just told us, Frank. You're handing me an envelope while you're talking. <laughs> oh, force a habit. Sorry. <laughs> like, did sorry. I show you my new wallet, Frank? And there's like five hundred dollar money. <laughs> <laughs> These were coupons. You know, it was. Uh, I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> please, please don't talk to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a really good thing going here, Frank. Yeah, you need to shut up, and you need to. He meets one guy, one guy in the car, and he's made so much money that he could send his his daughter to. It seems that he's having misgivings about what he's been doing, right? Yes. And he's like, "My daughter is at the opera in San Francisco, and it costs a lot of money. But what am I doing?" Yeah. And and he's like, "Okay, but he's got to go. He's got to go." So he goes to a new precinct, right? Yeah. And this, and this time he gets this speech. We make a lot of money now. Yeah. Don't fuck it up. Don't fuck this up for <laughs> us. Yeah. We make ten a piece when we split it because we run drugs. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And he just has to sit there and go, "Okay, fine, all right, fine, that's that's fine." But he's not working out in that department, is he? Because he's talking, no. he's trying to talk to everybody. And they have yeah. a meeting out in a park where they're like, how come you haven't been taking money? And he says, I've been giving it to the guy because who's going to hold it for me? And they said, fine, fine. We're going to take your cut and we're just going to dis- distribute it amongst all the detectives. Jesus Christ, thanks a lot. Now we have to do math. Why? <laughs> Fractions. Jesus. And then he yells at his girlfriend so much that they break up. Yep. <laughs> hmm, imagine that. She's like, I'm leaving. Bye. And he's like... In a restaurant, because she's smart, that one. Mm-hmm. He's like, I broke up with I'm breaking doing it here, because you're less likely to yell at me. And he starts yelling at her. <laughs> yeah, I'm Al Pacino. <laughs> but then he tries to calm down, and she's like, look, I love you. You're never going to marry me. You're not interested in marrying anybody. We're not going to have kids. You say you do right now, but the instant the instant I take you back, you're never going to say it again. You're a piece of shit. He chases her out of the restaurant yeah. for whatever reason, because she's not doing anything but spitting truth directly in his face. Right, yeah. And then she leaves, and you're like, oh, no. She broke up. But now things are progressing, because somebody... Who is it? Not the mayor. Who who decides? It's He meets it, a district attorney. Is it so, it's somebody from the DA's office, yeah. Yeah, and it, it's uh, uh, Tauber, I think. No, it's a more famous guy. I can't remember. Anyway, <laughs> um, he's like, yay, yay, you are you should be so proud that you're coming forward, and you're the first cop to ever do this, and it's going to be great. All you have to do is testify in front of a grand jury, and he's like, I don't want to do that. Please, nope. no. <laughs> because he figures by this point, if he does it, he's never going to be a cop again. Yeah. Not really. Well, and there's it's that, and it's also, as he says in that scene, you know, mm-hmm. he he doesn't, even if he does testify, he doesn't trust that they'll actually do anything. Yeah, nothing will happen. Yeah. Nothing will come he, of it. He says right. you'll, 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 you'll throw a few flunky cops to the wolves, and you'll protect mm-hmm. everybody else. You'll protect everybody right. above them who has, who has allowed it to happen this whole time. Right. But, I mean, now pressure is mounting at work. 
everybody knows that he's talking to the DA, and um, and then we have the drug bust. Yeah, because he gets yeah he gets transferred to well you already said it he's transferred to narcotics yeah, he's and transferred uh, to narcotics and uh, they're outside staking out a place and they've got a guy out front who's gonna signal them when uh, someone comes out after purchasing the drugs. Serpico goes out, goes into the building, witnesses the the drug buy. The signal is given. They all run out. They capture some guys, and now Serpico is going back in to bust into the apartment, and he busts open the door, but it gets pushed back, so now he's crammed in there. He's asking for the other guys to come in with him. They're not doing anything. Nope. They're just kind of standing there going, look at him trapping in the door. Look at him, it's so adorable. He's trying to get his gun out, and then he gets shot in the face. Mm, yes, he does. While shooting his gun, and he goes down, and no one's calling anybody. No. Nobody's calling, you know, they finally get a con- you know, who actually who actually made the call in real life? It was... An old... Yeah, it was someone in one of the other apartments. It was an old man in one of the other apartments yeah. called. And so they were, I think they were going to like, let's just let them bleed to death. Mm-hmm. Fuck them. Yeah, I think that's exactly um, what they were doing. But they still didn't know, an ambulance still didn't show up. It was a cop car that showed up and they dumped him in the back of the car, cop car and drove him to the hospital. And now we're all caught up, Steve. Yay, we're back to the beginning of the movie. Yay. And so um, the guy from the beginning of the movie, Chief Sidney Green, who's appeared a couple of times, there's just so much stuff in here. We can't cover all of it. Come on. We're not superhumans. <laughs> I'm old and I can barely remember anything. Um, he's one of the guys who was pressuring him to testify and go, yeah. you know. He shows up. He's the one that came in early and held his hand. And, uh, you know, one of the doctors come up and talk to Serpico's parents. And they're like, he's been shot in the face, but the bullet lodged in his upper jaw. It didn't. It didn't hit his spine. Uh-huh. You know, he'll probably have. Some, he's in critical right now, but he should recover. Right. Um, in truth, he did have. He he does have. I don't know. Is he still alive? He's still alive. He's, he's still alive. Yeah. He has some bullet fragments in his brain, and there were def, there were problems caused by by this gunshot wound. He still experiences pain from it. Mm-hmm. Um, but at least he survived. Right. Yeah. And they're like, oh, thank God. And so then we go in, and uh, Chief Sidney Green throws what on his chest, Steve? The gold shield, the detective shield. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, what is this for? Is it because I've been shot, or is it because I'm a good cop, or is it because you want me to shut up? Right. <laughs> he, doesn't I, trust any, yeah. he doesn't trust the motives of anybody at no. this point. He tells, him, he tells him to shove it. He says, take it and shove it. But does he? No. No. He just leaves it on his chest. Yeah. And then we cut to him testifying in open court, actually delivering a quote that he made testifying yep. in at the grand jury. Yep. And um, then what happens, Steve? Uh, then we uh, we see him moving out of his apartment. Mm-hmm. And he's at- sitting outside. Oh, we forgot about the dog. That's right. He has a dog. He has a dog. A long time ago, when he was moving into his apartment in Greenwich Village, there were a couple of weird drifters. Yeah, and they had dogs. <laughs> with a box full of of, uh, of uh, puppies. Yeah, want a puppy? And these were the biggest puppies I've ever seen in my life. But they buy. He buys one, and uh, we see him sitting sitting on a curb with his dog and a yeah. bag, and we get a title screen. And what does the title screen say, Steve? The title screen tells us that he left the police force, and now he lives in Switzerland. The end. The end. (laughs) Go home, audience. (laughs) Have a good day, everybody. Have a great evening.
No, no, no. Ignore those feelings. There's booze at home. You can drink when you get home. I know you can get in the movie theater. But get a, <laughs> you drink a little bit. Fuck your wife. You'll forget all about this movie. You'll feel better. You'll feel better. Maybe it's just New York. You know, New York is a bad place. Yeah. Not where you live. It's not like not that everywhere. Like where you live. Right. But ask yourself, when was the last time you saw a cop do something good? No memory of it? Okay. <laughs> hmm. Where are they all day? <laughs> Ask yourself why you have to think that hard about that simple question. <laughs> the end. The so, end. Steve, mm-hmm. how do you feel about this 1973 classic about police corruption, Serpico? It is, it, it's depressing how timely this film feels. I know. N- nearly 50 years after it was made. Different reasons. Different reasons, <laughs> but very similar. Because um, when this, as we mentioned earlier, in 1973, when this movie came out, this was literally ripped from the headlines. This movie came out yes, like right after the real Serpico story had broken. So it felt very urgent and very ripped from the headlines. And today it, it doesn't quite have that urgency, but its story set within a police department tainted by bad cops and mm. and with you know cowardice and apathy among the top brass like that all feels very on theme for our present moment that that is a yeah. problem that we are having to confront in this country right now um and so the filmmakers and al pacino who gives what i think is one of his very best performances of his entire career in this movie mm. um they do several very smart things that allow this movie to succeed as a drama and not just as a message movie. Um, because first and foremost, this this movie centers exclusively on Serpico. There is, there is yep. almost no scene in the movie that he is not in and the subject of. Yep. And, and his defining characteristic becomes how alone he is. So he's, he's at the center of every scene in the movie, and he just becomes more and more isolated, more and more alone, less and less we trusting of people. We forgot something in the plot. Yeah. We forgot something. What? The reason why there's a grand jury thing is because they went to the paper. They went to the New York that's Times. That's right. Yes. They, eventually, they did go to the paper, and that's what actually Prompted got the ball the rolling. Action. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's not anyway. alone. He's, he, he, he's not alone by, by choice. Like he doesn't, we, we, especially earlier in the film, we see that he's not like a stereotypical loner. He, he seems to get along fine with people. He's intelligent and curious and well-read. Um, he's a little odd. He's a little odd, but like, but he's, he can, he can be charming. He can get along with yeah. people in social settings. Um, but because of his choices, because of his, his refusal to take the money and, and the circumstances surrounding him, he has isolation forced upon him. Like he becomes this, this lone person. Um, he does have friends, he does have girlfriends, but eventually those relationships all become fraught or end as a result of the pressure that he feels from his job. Um, Mm -hmm. and we see how like the consequences of what, what seems like a simple personal choice to just not take money, to not take bribes. Suddenly that, that threatens to consume everything else in his life because you realize that he doesn't have that option, like the option to be a good cop practically speaking does not exist even if no. you, even if you know it's wrong even if you don't want to the the environment imposes that upon you you have to do it or you cannot do your job and you cannot lead a, a good life um mm. so once he's in that situation and then a time goes on and and his position becomes more and more perilous the film does a really great job of cranking up that tension 
um, in a way that is very effective because this is not a typical cop movie. Like there's no big case. There's not much in the way of procedural. There's no big dramatic final confrontation between the hero and the villain. Um, nope. the, the, central, the central problem doesn't even get solved. It just gets acknowledged. It just gets mm-hmm. revealed to the public, but it does nothing is fixed at the end of the movie. Um, so, so the hook of the movie is Frank himself, and the key to that, and the key to the reason that works, is is Al Pacino. Um, mm-hmm. About thirty years after this movie, Al Pacino did another great movie, another great crime movie called Donnie Brasco, and I've always loved that movie, and I've always loved Johnny Depp's performance in that movie because in that in Donnie Brasco, Johnny Depp is like a tightly coiled spring the entire time. He's it's a very closed off, very tense performance. And in Serpico, I realized watching the movie that Pacino is doing exactly that same thing. He's giving exactly that kind of performance. Not at first, but as he falls into this situation, he becomes more and more closed off, more and more tightly wound. He becomes that tightly coiled spring who looks like he is just ready to snap at any moment and and bearing far more pressure than he was meant to. Um, I think it's very smart that the film doesn't really try to explain to us why Frank is the one good cop on the force there isn't mm-hmm. like an origin story you know where, where, no, where there's we, no story about no. you know like oh a good cop saved my life once or something like or you know my father yeah. was a good cop like there's nothing like that well in in reality it was his grandfather who was a good cop in in italy yeah that's right that's right but they don't mention it they in don't the movie. they don't mention it and, and the closest we get is as he tells uh, i think it's his first girlfriend leslie he's telling her about uh, a story when he was a kid and when he realized that he wanted to be a cop and it's the story about being at the scene of a crime or, or a disaster or an emergency or something and the cops arrive at the scene and the crowd of people just parts when the cops arrive like the cops have the the ability to to get the people to move aside for them um and what I find interesting about that is that that's obviously not how he sees the job as an adult, uh, because that's what he's describing seeing as a kid is kind of a power fantasy. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't see it as a power trip when he actually is a cop. You don't see him abusing his authority. You don't see him using it as a means to enrich himself. So the movie never tells us why or how his attitude changed from that childhood power fantasy to the way he approaches the job as an adult. But it's very important that it did because for some reason, most of the other cops in the movie never made that transition. They, they, they just saw the job as, you know, a, a way to, to have power over people, a way to line their pockets. They, mm-hmm. they, they show no sense of, of civic duty or, or responsibility to the greater good or the law or justice or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And the fact that Frank has some awareness of that and some commitment to that is what makes the difference. It's also yeah. it's also important that the film shows us that the problem goes beyond a few dirty cops. Um, first of all, it's not just a few dirty cops. It's a lot of dirty cops. It seems like everybody. It seems it like seems everybody. Like um, and secondly, the dirty cops are not the whole problem. Just as important and just as dangerous are the high-ranking officials in the department who look the other way. And they ultimately mm-hmm. become Frank's enemies just as much if, as, if not more so, than the dirty cops who, who actually threaten his life because the, the higher-ups have the power to do something about the problem, but they choose not to. They choose right. to pretend that it's not happening because they would rather protect the image of the department and protect their own reputations instead of having mm-hmm. to admit that this problem exists under their watch. So... 
because the movie ends without a without a resolution to that problem of corruption and because it still feels so relevant to the issues we're dealing with today it's easy to view serpico as kind of a depressing movie and and mm -hmm. and in many ways it is and i think that's the it point it is a depressing movie intentionally i think that's what i think that's part of what the filmmakers are trying to accomplish um, but it's also worth noting that in the decades since this happened, there, there has been some progress um, eventually, even though it, it literally took decades after yeah. this movie came out. Uh, New York City did eventually establish an independent civilian oversight committee for the police department. Now, that committee is not nearly as powerful as it should be, but it's there. And it probably would not be there at all were it not for Frank Serpico and other people like him who eventually came forward and said, hey, we really need to do something about this. This is unacceptable. Um, but as we all know by now, hopefully, uh, and unfortunately, corruption isn't the only problem with policing. Um, now we're dealing with, with racism and police brutality, which have been serious problems all along and were probably problems even before corruption was a problem. They're, but we're just now becoming more and more aware of them. At least it, There's it, an it, example of it in this film. Yeah, well, that's, I was just going to say that. They are, they are in the movie. Like We see police racism and police brutality in the movie, and we see that Serpico does not approve of it. Um, but they are not the primary subject of the film. But they, are, but but that is in there, and that's that's it's sort of a part of the whole perception of oh this like this is not what he expected, and he's not okay with this, and he's not willing to just go along with this to be a cop. Um, so and and so and like the corruption that we see in Serpico, these problems, police brutality, uh, racial inequality, these these are institutional problems. It's not just a few bad apples. It's just like the corruption that we see in Serpico, where it's 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 from the top down. It's an institutional problem, and to fix it will require massive reform. Not just as Serpico complains in that scene we mentioned a few minutes ago. Not just throwing a few flunky cops to the wolves to protect mm -hmm. the leaders of the department. Um, right. One of the most devastating lines in the film to me is when Serpico says, I'm a marked man in this department. For what? You know, he realizes that he has put mm -hmm. his neck on the line. He has risked his life to do what he thought was right and to do what he thought was good for the job that he loves. And it has gotten him nothing. He's like, why did I do this? What, what, what purpose is uh, What have I done besides destroy my own life? Um, mm -hmm. He did the right thing. He stood up against corruption and it nearly got him killed. And the film suggests that there were lots of other Serpicos out there, other good cops who were mm -hmm. troubled by the corruption around him, who didn't speak out because they feared the consequences or because they assumed that it would do no good. Right. So this is a movie where a, a good man fights for change in a corrupted institution that he still, for some reason, believes in. But his struggle is futile because that institution is so corrupted that it doesn't mm -hmm. want to change. And that's that's the tragedy of Serpico, and it's the tragedy that we still have to live with regarding policing in the United States today, and it's the reason that this movie still feels so powerfully relevant. Um, so it succeeds on that level, it succeeds as drama, it succeeds as, as a showcase for Pacino's performance. Uh, Sidney Lumet is one of my very, very favorite filmmakers. I think I've so mm -hmm. many of his films are among my, my, my most cherished films. So yeah, this is a very long-winded way of saying I really, really liked it. It's a really, <laughs> really great movie. <laughs> All right, you done? I'm done. Let me get a chance. I'm done. Serpico is a reverse narrative from what you would typically find in other films 
um, that would be breaching not necessarily about police corruption, but about the crusading hero in modern times, in the modern setting. You have a person who has a certain set of ideals, finds out that there is corruption in the middle of it, they crusade forward, and they get justice at the end. And, you know, there's a, you know, maybe there's a little after blurb that says something along the lines of, and then this happened, and then these people went to jail, and then these people, you know, had to spend this much money to make things right. I think Aaron Brockovich, right? (laughs) Right. Things like that, the verdict, where usually there is this one person fighting desperately to fix a system or bring people to justice or expose a massive lie. And um, this is kind of the reverse of that. Yeah. Or at least an inversion of it. We meet Serpico at the very beginning. He's a young man. He's just graduated from the academy. He has a lot of ideals. And we, what we get to witness is a man who has all of his worst first fears realized and he eventually loses the thing that he wanted to be when he first went in, right? Right. A cop. Yeah. And we get to know Serpico through that transition from being a new guy on the beat who has these ideas, let's fight crime, why aren't we going to... We just got a call. And his disillusionment with police work literally starts day one as soon as he puts on that uniform and puts on the badge. It's the day that he goes out and they are doing favors for this deli guy who apparently is doing illegal things. Yeah. And in exchange, they get free lunch. But just so long as it's not too free, the whole roast beef thing is is because roast beef costs him money. It right. costs the delicatessen owner maybe a little bit more money than they agreed to in their whole little graft situation. Right. So this is like the hero's journey, except the hero doesn't win and he loses everything. <laughs> <laughs> And there aren't a whole lot of movies like this. We like feeling happy when we leave. We like feeling uplifted. We oh yay, they won. Doesn't matter that nine times out of ten, the win that they're putting in the movie isn't quite like the win that, that happened in real life. You know? Right. Aaron Brockovich fought against PG and E. Guess who I pay money to all the time? <laughs> who routinely burn down our state or have an entire neighborhood explode because they can't manage their gas lines. So it kind of gets balanced with reality. Yeah. This movie was kind of like, and this is also because of when it was made. It was a year after. There's an entire council that was formed shortly thereafter the film came out. Probably because the film came out. Mm-hmm. Probably because a lot of people were talking about the movie. You know, the book had come out. People had read the book, and now the movie was out. They hit the ground running. They wanted it done now. I think that's Sidney Lumet, who's like, "This is timely, and I want this now." Yeah. So that there is a focus spotlight on New York City police. But at the time they, they made it, they only had what had happened. And ultimately what had happened to this guy was as we watch him getting broken down from the person that he thought he was going to be to what he was until eventually he had to leave the police department. He, could not, he couldn't serve in any other precinct at that point because of his experiences throughout 12 years. This is basically 12 years from 1960 to 1972. Yeah. Everybody he meets seems to be corrupt. And if they're not corrupt, they're fucking lazy. Mm-hmm. And they don't do their job. And they endanger people with who are you know potentially innocent. He sees it no matter what department he goes to, he sees the same goddamn thing over and over and over again. He's trying as best as he can to be the cop that he wants to be by jumping from police to, you know, from precinct to precinct, mm-hmm. looking for that place where there is no corruption, where there is no graft, where he can be a cop without people stealing his collars or violating people's, people's rights or being on the take. 
and he never finds it. No. He never gets the opportunity to rekindle that fire in his belly to be a good police officer. This movie could have, you know, if had he just taken the bribe, none of this would have happened. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. The simple thing that he needed to do was simply take the bribe. That's it. But he was unwilling to go down that right. And he's right to question why why is this happening? Why why is this why is this? Because I wouldn't he says it, I, because I wouldn't take a bribe. You know, you get a feeling at the beginning of the movie that he doesn't want to rat anybody out. Right. He acknowledges that, you know, the safety within the you know, the blue line. One guy asks him outright. Would you rat on me? Would you would you would you go and, and rat on me? And he says it depends on what you did. Yeah. Which is an honest, honest which answer. Which is the right answer. He tells him yeah. he says that's the wrong answer. He says that's the wrong yeah. answer. You're not supposed to rat on a cop no matter what they do. That is the expectation. Exactly. Yeah. And that was the internal code of the police department. So this is a severely depressing movie because you're kind of waiting around going, okay, when does he get justice? You think, oh, okay. In the hands of another director, when he's, when he's testifying to the grand jury, that would be the uplifting moment where he gives his speech mm-hmm. and then he walks confidently out the, out the front door with his best girl by his side and Tony Roberts is there and he's going woohoo or whatever. <laughs> we never get that. We don't get it. That is not this movie. That is not this movie. Instead, when he's testifying for the grand jury, it is the lowest point that he has reached. It is the lowest. It is He is doing the thing that he told everyone, I'm not going to do this, right? Now he's been shot in the face. He doesn't know for certain if the cops hadn't done it, which is the ultimate betrayal. It's not the fact that they did or didn't. It's the fact that he suspects that they could have. Mm-hmm. And how could he ever be a cop again if that was even the case? Because now he doubts and does not trust anybody. Yeah. He has no support. He has a couple of friends. This drive within him to keep doing it drove both of his love interests away. They both left. And so now he is alone. All he has is his fucking dog. (laughs) And, you know, Tony Roberts. But everyone else, everyone else feels like they have been forced to make this change at the end. I mean, the com- the police commissioner even says when, when they're confronting him in his office, when they're talking to him in his office, he says, my primary responsibility is to protect the reputation of the, of the New York City Police Department. Yeah. Not to enforce the laws and protect the citizens. <laughs> nope. Of the city of New York, but to protect the police. Yeah. And that's it. Now, granted, that is part of commissioner's job, is to make sure that police officers are treated fairly if they do something wrong. But in this case, what he means is so that no one finds out that we're fucking filthy from top to bottom. Exactly. And it's this realization, as he continues forward, he has no one left to trust. Everyone seems to have an ulterior motive. He doesn't believe the DAs. He doesn't believe in any of the commissioners. He doesn't believe in any of the higher-ups. He even gets mad at Tony Roberts at one point because all of his ideas seem to go wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, that... It, you know, that he starts to distrust Tony. Um, I can't even remember what the character's name is. I don't fucking care. But <laughs> Tony you Roberts. See this, you see this man's world start bright and get darker and dimmer until there's fewer and fewer people left in this pool of light, and it's just him. And then the movie ends, and he's all alone except for a dog sitting in front of a ship that is going to take him away <laughs> from New York. He's lost his city. He's lost, lost um, things that he used to believe in, and he's lost the job that he's always wanted the end go home and eat your ice cream (laughs) that's it they don't make movies like this why don't they make (laughs) movies like this anymore 
I understand that there is a need in Hollywood to give everyone some bit of hope at the end of a movie, especially movies that is supposed to be tackling social, you know, uh, social and political things within the United States. But all of them always have a little glimmer of hope or some little triumph or something like that that makes us all feel better so we can forget about the problems that the movie presented. Yeah. This one doesn't do that. This one says he testified and then he had to leave. It's a bummer ending. And bummer endings aren't bad if you're trying to drive a point home. Because we didn't give you a, a trite little everything solved. The police are all better now. Because of the guy, see? It's all better. He got his gold badge and everything's swell. Wait, what? <laughs> he what, what happened? He Oh, he, he can't be a cop no more? Oh, nothing was fixed? He had to leave the... Fucking country? <laughs> oh, I don't know how I feel about that. Well, you should be angry. That's that's yeah. what you should be at the end of the movie. There's nothing wrong with making your audience angry if that is your intent. I prefer these movies over any other movie, especially historical biopics, or just, you know, when they're trying to do something along those lines that don't have any other motive than to say, this shit isn't done, how do you feel about that? I'm tired of Hollywood saying, but they gotta leave happy. No, they don't. They don't gotta leave happy. We'll be okay if you, okay. yeah, we can leave a theater and, and be sad or pissed off. We'll, we'll, we'll right. make it. We'll be okay. If this movie had been made by Steven Spielberg, there would have been a fucking happy ending somehow his dog would start talking at the end i've got all the information right here in my backpack i've been wearing a wire frank <laughs> i got it all but you know what i mean it would end on some kind of golden hued uplifting note there's no golden hued it's a gray fucking filthy new york background and there's a ship behind him it is perfect so yeah i like the movie i like the movie a lot and yeah it's still related to a lot of shit we're going through right now, which I think makes the movie just as important now as it did back then. Different thing, you know, different problems, same fucking shit, same underlying problems. And so, yeah, I like it. I like it, says I. And even though it left me angry and <laughs> bummed out after I watched it, as smoke streams through my house because my entire state is on fire and coronavirus isn't in check and we have a lunatic in the White House. It's bad, folks. This film didn't send me to the bathtub. It made me angry. <laughs> wow. <sighs> so I recommend it, and it's a classic. Right, Steve? Oh, my God, yes. It's absolutely a classic. It's so good that we're on the same page again. It's fan Yeah, it, that, that is good. Never do it again. <laughs> yeah, it's a great movie. It's a great movie. So, so, Steve? Yeah? What movie do you not recommend to our fine people? Oh, boy, I got a good one, by which I mean okay, a bad one. better. <laughs> so I was looking for movies that dealt with police corruption but that maybe weren't so good. And I okay. and I found one. Oh my God, you're kidding. I know. They made a bad movie about police corruption? I can't believe it, but yes. Okay. This is, and it's I'm actually... setting my face to stun. <laughs> it's, it's from just a few years ago, from, uh, from 2016. Mm. Also kind of a shitty year. And oh, yeah, um, yeah. it stars John Travolta. Oh, so oh, it's there you go. so it stars John Travolta <laughs> in 2016. You know, it's it's probably not going to be that great. Um, what all these cops? All these cops? Ah, what, what are you doing? Are. What's all the corruption? Why don't they investigate the crimes? Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> 
Um, it's a movie called I Am Wrath. Oh my god, I've never even heard of this thing. Oh, it's bad. <laughs> it's bad. So John Travolta plays a guy who is like a former Special Forces guy, of course. Um, of course. And what happens is that um, his wife gets killed. Oh no. And the police that are uh, investigating the murder, they're bad corrupt uh-huh. cops. Oh no. So they let they catch the people that that, that killed his wife, but then they let some go. Oh and no. John Travolta is like you should cops not Cops aren't supposed to do that. John Travolta says you should not have done that. Why did they catch him any? Why did they catch him in the first place? Because they, I don't know. <laughs> Why is there a plot hole in the synopsis <laughs> so he, already? He, so, so John Travolta says, oh, "Well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get those guys myself." Oh. And he reads a passage from the Bible that says, mm-hmm. "I am filled with the wrath of the Lord." And then, because this is that kind of a movie, it's right. not just something referred to metaphorically by the title. He actually starts calling himself Wrath. So he is. Okay. So he is wrath, and then it's basically okay. like taken. Only it sucks. Okay. That's basically the rest of the movie. Was that the tagline? It's, it's take. No, I was getting to that. Do you want to know what the tagline is on the poster? What, what was okay, it? Okay, keep in mind, John Travolta. Okay, right. John Travolta is on the poster with obviously fake hair, uh, with mean face, mean face, holding a gun. John Travolta, I am wrath. The tagline is, "I lay my vengeance upon them." Oh my God. So, yeah. Is he having tax problems? I, Why did he make this movie? I, I guess. I, has he not? He had, in the 90s and early 2000s, he had a pretty good run. Did he not save his money? No. I guess he must not have. Look, but undercover gay relations cost money. He had, he had to be, he had to buy the silence of a few people. Okay. Yeah, I know. There's people out there saying there's no proof of that. There is, but <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, but yeah. So um, it's it's yeah. It's called I Am Wrath. It's uh-huh. dog shit. It uh, it has it, the cast is okay. Like Christopher Maloney is in it, and he's okay. Rebecca De Mornay plays his wife who gets killed. It's nice to see her in a movie. But like, yeah, um, for as long as she's in, yeah, it. For, until she gets murdered in like the first act. Right. <laughs> Thanks for coming, Rebecca. Um, yeah, we're gonna fridge you, Rebecca. Yeah, exactly. To motivate the main character so we can have a movie. <sighs> So yeah, that so so whatever you do, if you liked Serpico, if you think, oh, what a great movie, I want to see more about police corruption, right? Don't, yeah. don't, don't, just don't, just don't see I Am Wrath. It's bad. And actually, <laughs> if you see any John Travolta movie and you you check the copyright date and it's after, say, I don't know, like two thousand five, and that's probably being generous. Yeah. Uh, just skip it. You don't need to see it. Yeah. It's probably not good. Yeah, it's okay. It's, <laughs> My turn. As you guys know, I like to not recommend a movie from the same year as the movie that we just reviewed. And so I was looking through movies in 1973, and I was like, no, I've seen that. No, that's good. No, I've seen, I haven't seen that, so I can't do it. But then I found a movie that I don't like. <gasps> it's great, and it has nothing to do with cops. It has nothing to do with corruption. It doesn't have anything to do with people. Oh, interesting. <laughs> the movie I'm going to not recommend is a beautifully shot film. That is devoid of anything else that's nourishing. And that movie's called Jonathan Livingston's Sea. <gasps> oh, okay. Great book. Yeah. Because when you're reading it, you forget that you're reading about a seagull. <laughs> it's the power of literature. That's right. But this movie is not much more than a nature documentary 
with seagulls in it and then voiceovers from actors. Oh. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it doesn't work, huh? No, none of the philosophy or metaphor. All of it's lost. And all you really have is a story about a seagull who wants to, f- who gets banned from his flock, and then he wants to fly really fast. And then he gets people who also people, yeah, you know, <laughs> gets other seagulls who want to fly really fast. And while some of the the shots are beautiful and breathtaking, it's not enough to sustain this film. It's not enough to for you to forget that Jane, that I think it's James Franciscus is literally just talking to a microphone over documentary footage. I can do that. I can do that with anything. It doesn't make it good. So, uh, yeah. Also, this movie had three lawsuits. Really? Oh, yeah. The first one was from uh, uh, Richard Bach, who wrote the book, who said, you changed my book, I'm going to sue you. (laughs) And then the next one was by, and this is one of the other reasons why I don't necessarily like the movie movie all that much. There were songs by Neil Diamond. Oh, my God, why? I guess because he was hot back then. I guess. Oh, boy. The and, 70s were such an interesting decade. And he sued because you didn't use my songs enough. And also, there was a guy who did the set, you know, did the, the uh, theme and stuff and orchestrated the rest of the movie when I wasn't singing. And I'm, I'm hurt. <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> Give me money. And then there was another one by director Avadi Julber who said that you stole from my movie La Mer. How dare you do that? I sue you for everything. And they said, fuck off, Frenchie. And he didn't get any money. <laughs> Nobody saw your fucking movie. <laughs> no one saw your get over yourself. movie. <laughs> but it is quite popular. People watch it in school. It's required. Okay, I'm leaving. Goodbye. <laughs> get out. <laughs> Um, it's just boring. It's just boring. It's not bad enough for you to laugh at, really. It's just, you know, it's trying to be very high-minded. It's trying to match what the book did, and it just doesn't do it. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I don't see it. Hey, Steve. Yeah, man. Look, uh, yeah. make you a deal. Yeah. You get to choose from one of three movies. Oh, yeah? I'm not going to tell you what those movies are, but the one you pick is the one we're going to review next week. Now, if you're smart, you'll play ball. You get me? Yeah. What do you mean, play ball? Just do it. Just pick one. A, B, or C. I'm not going to even tell you. There's no setup. Everybody knows what we do in this bit now anyway. Steve has to choose the next movie, and it's a blind choice, and so it's A, B, or C. You'll get the theme once you make a pick, but we can't go anywhere until you pick something. (laughs) So it's all up to me. Yeah, don't get too high. uh, Don't get too highfalutin. Just, you know. I'm going to go with A. 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 Okay, everyone else will pick up on this theme. Oh boy. Had you chosen C, we would have watched the comedy classic, Some Like It Hot. <gasps> oh. But we don't get to do that. No, we one. don't. I fucked it up. I'm sorry. Had you chosen B, we would have watched the Blake Edwards musical starring his wife, Julie Andrews, Victor Victoria. Interesting. But you chose A, the movie that's going to make me so angry. Oh boy. <laughs> oh, good. The movie that we're going to review next time is a comedy directed by, I think, Mike Nichols. I'm pretty sure it was Mike Nichols, starring Dustin Hoffman. I thought that's what you were going to say. In the hilarious comedy about feminism, (laughs) Tootsie. Oh, yeah. 
So, if you want to get angry yourself or get all the jokes the next time you listen to our podcast, then you'll watch Tootsie before we, before, before then. Okay? Oh, okay. Yay. We've, I've just, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the audience. I'm sorry. I just. Okay, audience? Okay. I don't, I don't need an apology, I'm Steve. Sorry. I'm sorry. I just get jealous. Just take I get the envelope. I get jealous when you talk to the audience and not to me. Okay, well, you know, I have to. I know. It's part of the job, honey boo boo. I know. All right, that's it. You've you've managed to get through another another review where we gush about a seventies movie. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. For late seating. This has been Jason Harding, and see a movie this week. And this has been Steve Shives, and always remember what my grandmother said to me when I opened my first lemonade stand and I asked her if she wanted to buy some lemonade. If I buy one, motherfucker, I ain't buying it from you. Wait, who said what? Did you say it to your grandma or did your grandma say it to no, you? No, grandma said it to me. Oh, did you love each other? I don't understand. Well, this, this was... It's a fucking lemonade. Number one. Yes? Where were you? Did you grow up in the 1940s? We were a little Where did you... We're a little behind the times here in Western Maryland. Did you do, after doing a whole day at your lemonade stand, did you go out to the creek and, and play in your treehouse? <laughs> Jason, I... Did you play kick the can and, I grew and up... fucking fly a kite? What the fuck? I, don't let try me... to tell me that you didn't spend the majority of your day in your room playing with He-Man figures... But not like they're fighting. That they're sitting down at a little table you made, and they're talking about their feelings. Yes, I told I I I made little episodes. I I had them tell stories. Um, I bet they did. Can I tell you something though? Okay, you, what? I, I I grew up in a town where there were literally the, the population was like four hundred people. Okay, <laughs> I didn't have a creek, but I had a stream that ran behind my house that we that we called oh. that we called the Run. We're gonna go down to the Run. Okay, so it wasn't quite Huckleberry Finn, but it's but not close. as but it's not as far off as you might think. Okay, but the same amount of racism. Uh, same amount of racism, fewer actual black people. <laughs> you had to designate one of the white kids to be the black. Yeah, kid. and that did. And that, You're gonna be the black. Kid. And that never went well for anybody. We're gonna make a giant go kart that's so big that it breaks apart into several pieces as we go down an enormously large hill. And you, you're gonna be spanky, and I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be alfalfa. <laughs> we just want to play with our teenage mutant ninja turtles. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, were you there? <laughs> yeah, I've been spying on you since my adulthood. Your parents hired me to try to turn you into what? Somewhat normal kid. I have failed. Boy, and this is they, my penance. They canceled that check, didn't they? <laughs> Yeah, they haven't been paying me for years. <laughs> this is a self-imposed penance. I'm like, well, Jason, you believe in responsibility, and he's your fault. He's, so. This monster is your creation. Might as well try to protect the well world from him. Keep him inside next to a microphone and a computer the majority of the time, because he's going to break. He's going to break. Just going to try to limit the blast radius as much as possible. <laughs> I know. I have I have an entire thing set up for when uh, Harry Dean Anderson dies. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah. Oh, Rich, you mean Richard? You're gonna Dean have Anderson. a news blackout. Yeah. In your <laughs> I just can't believe it. <laughs> I'm like calling you at 3 a.m. Going, you know, season two of MacGyver is really underrated. I think it might be the best season That's great. of the show. Uh huh. Did you see that news article that said that Harry Dean Anderson is perfectly fine and happy? <laughs> really? Yeah, they're, they're in planning for Stargate 3000. Stargate Boy, 3000. it's great that he still has a career. 
<laughs> Stargate 3000. He's going to be playing MacGyver's dad <gasps> in the three-part movie series that they're planning. Oh, that sounds so great. Mm-hmm. The first one's going to be called MacGyver Kills Nobody, and then the sequel's going to be, co- be called More People That MacGyver Doesn't okay. Kill, and then the third one is MacGyver Doesn't Kill the Guy Who Really Deserves to Die, but he still doesn't do it. We have to collaborate, you and I, on a screenplay for a movie called MacGyver Kills Nobody. <laughs> this must happen at some point in our lives. Okay, done. Deal. <laughs> Deal. <sighs> And then we could do a live reading on on your YouTube. Hey, show. this is we're we're I mean we're printing money now. You'll be playing MacGyver, and I guess I'll play everybody else, including the women. You'll have to you'll have to play Murdoch because it will be <laughs> you, who MacGyver will not kill, okay, along with everybody else. Let's talk about this off mic. Okay. All right. Let's stop inflicting them. Uh, with you're, this. They don't need to know this. This is too revealing. They, yeah, I know. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Late Seating is a Let Me Listen podcast production featuring Steve Shives and Jason Harding. Produced by Jason Harding. Theme music, Rollin' at Five, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. You can find more Let Me Listen podcast productions at our website at www.letmelistenpodcast.com. You can also find us on Stitcher, iTunes, or just about anywhere you download podcasts. Late Seating is a listener-supported podcast. If you would like to support Late Seating or any of the other Lemme Listen productions for as little as $1 a month, please visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Listen. And thanks for listening.